Okay, now we come to our, our reading this morning. Um, and we will be reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 16, verses 1 to 35. In essence, all of chapter 16 except the last verse. And uh, it is uh, subtitled Manna and Quail. And it says this. <laughs> the whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you the meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked forward, sorry, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. 
So Moses was angry with them. Each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Say whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for the generations to come. So they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the wilderness when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it. Then place it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna with the tablets of the covenant law so that it might be preserved. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. Father, we thank you for your word to us and we ask you to bless Nick as he comes to us this morning and help us understand more from what you are sharing. And we ask this in your name. Amen. You might like at some point to work through that passage and, uh, and it's going to come up in your home groups to work out how many miracles happened in that passage. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting little, uh, interesting little discussion. Um, along with uh, how many times do Israel disobey what God tells them to do, really straightforwardly. I want to be really practical this morning. We are, are back in the, uh, in the Lord's Prayer, and I want us to be as, as straightforward as, as we can be this morning. Um, and we want to remember that Jesus says, where two or three um, are gathered in my name, there, there am I with them. So we want to remember that we're hearing the words of Christ through, through his written word, the Bible, but he, is, uh, but he is here 
as it were, um, by his spirit speaking that word to us this morning. And our prayer is that he, he speaks that to our hearts um, himself uh, as we meet this morning. And you might want to have Matthew uh, 6 open. I think you'll know it already. It's on page 970. But I want us to just backtrack, remind ourselves um, of the beginning of this prayer. You see, as an evangelical church, we, we, don't, we rarely pray set prayers, either in church or in private devotions. And um, we tend to take an unstructured approach to prayer we believe that prayer is radically simple. It's, it's talking to God and, and asking him for things, which is true. But that's a little bit like saying that swimming is a radically simple exercise. It's just moving your arms and legs around in a certain way. And so you, know, you take your six-year-old down the pool and throw them in the deep end. And you say, it's very simple. It's just moving. And you know what happens. There's a lot of splashing. And there might be an intuitive, an intuitive doggy paddle, but you just wouldn't do that. So there's a danger that we think the prayer is really simple. Uh, we don't put any structure to it. Uh, we do an intuitive doggy paddle, and we go about as fast as the average person doing that in the water. And Jesus is more compassionate with us than that. Gives us a, he gives us a structure to our prayers. And he says, if you note in, in verse 9, this then is how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. This is how prayer works. And we all want prayer to work. And note that he doesn't say, um, this is a prayer you can pray. At certain times, he says, this is how you should pray. This is how you should structure all your praying if you want to stay spiritually afloat, this then um, is how you should pray. So I want to encourage you to practice this. Um, and we were hearing, and Sue was telling us a bit about what it, what, when you come to God and call him my father in prayer, how that changes you and how that changes the, um, the relationship. When you come to God and say, my father um, in heaven. And I think the same will be true today. If you can get hold of uh, the things we're saying today about how to pray, give us today um, our daily bread, um, it will change the nature of your relationship with God, I'm absolutely convinced. And I really just want to go simply through um, each of the aspects of this line. We look, Jesus says, pray this, give us today. This then is how you should pray. Give us today uh, our daily bread. And that sounds really bald, doesn't it? And really plain and not a little impertinent. I mean, in which relationships would you say, um, give me without a please or a thank you? You maybe experience that in a kind of work situation. Um, I guess, uh, particularly if you're in the police um, or something along those lines. And somebody says, give me those figures. Give me that report by the end of the day. But I think even then, uh, the polite person would say, um, please or thank you. Or if you're down the pub with your mates, you might say, pass us the pork scratchings. And um, you might forget a please or thank you because you're just good mates and you just... Um. Or at home, you might say to a child, pick up that fire engine now and put it away. And they might or they might not. Or I could say to the God, say to, sorry, I got that wrong. Say to the dog, um, 
I might say to the dog, give me the dead bird, give me the dead bird, and of course it just runs away and eats it. But it's only really the dog where you say that without saying please or thank you. How, how can we come, how on earth can we come to the Lord um, Almighty, uh, the King of creation, and say, give us this day, um, give me today my daily bread. We're not his superior, quite the opposite. We're not even his good mate, even though Jesus would call us his friends. He is not our child. We are his children. How can, we, how can we address him in that way? Well, most of the answer lies, of course, in the fact that we address him first as our father in heaven. You can only say, give me today my daily bread if you say before that, um, my father in heaven. Because you've trusted what Jesus has done for you. So to become a Christian is to trust that Jesus, the Son, the Son of God, died, died in your place. You know that. And then you are forgiven as Jesus takes the punishment from God, the Father, for your failings, your shortcomings, your sins. And when you become a Christian, you're credited with, with all the blessings that God would pour out on somebody like Jesus, somebody who's good as Jesus. When you become a Christian, your heart is made new. You receive the Holy Spirit. And so at a personal level, personally, you are adopted by God as his child. We talked about adoption, didn't we, when we, we talked about relating with, with God. And you're invited to come to God in the same terms that Jesus comes to God. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, as we saw, he says, my father, and he says, your will be done. And he invites us, essentially, in the Lord's Prayer, uh, to speak to God as he would speak to God. Even though, of course, his relationship with God as father is always going to be different from ours. Ours will never be uh, as son of God to the father. But nevertheless, he invites us um, to use his name um, to, to, to pray on those terms. So personally, as child of God, we can come to our Father. But more than that, when you become a Christian, contractually, if I dare put it in those terms, um, you enter into a covenant with God. So God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And unless you unpack it, that doesn't sound like very much apart from a kind of loose association. But it's much more than that. It's like a treaty made between nations. It's like a treaty that says one, one country says to another, when you are attacked, I will come to your defense. I bind myself. It, it, it is a, it, it's a treaty with obligations. And God says something along those lines. When you are attacked, I will come to your defense. When you are needy, I will come and supply. Or, or maybe another way is, is uh, like a, it's like a guarantee made by a, a parent to a potentially impoverished student. I've done that at least a couple of times now. Um, effectively, what you say, you, kind of start, you, you act as a guarantor with a landlord, which effectively says, uh, when my son fails to pay his rent, I accept to be liable. And do you know what? God says that to you. Isn't that an astonishing thing? God says... The, the debts that he 
or she cannot pay, I will pay. The needs that they cannot meet, I will meet. So as our Father, we're invited to come to him and say, give me, give us our daily bread. As a, as a covenant partner in trouble, we are uh, legally within our rights to say, come to my defense, because God has made a covenant with us. And as a poor person to a guarantor, we've made an agreement so that we can say, I need you to pay for me now, please. Never forgetting, of course, that our Father is in heaven, he is God Almighty. So that's givers. Today. Give us, to, give us today. Wow, if givers wasn't bad, bad enough, um, today's pretty impertinent, isn't it? Uh, imagine if you're, you know, son or daughter comes in and says, can you give me, give me today? X, Y, or Z. It's amazing that God invites us this. See, I think most Christians, I suspect, you pray when you feel a need, and your prayers increase as, as your kind of desperation increases, whereas we are actually dependent on God every day, every day of every week, of every month, of every year. And that's what the story of the, of the manna and the quail uh, we read from Exodus 16 illustrates. The Israelites were absolutely dependent on God um, for their daily food. You are absolutely dependent on God for your daily food and basic needs. That's the main point, actually, I want you to take away today. So the manna appeared miraculously by God's hand every day. It went off if you kept it overnight. It didn't appear miraculously on the Sabbath, but the extra day's portion of manna collected beforehand miraculously didn't go off. It appeared when they were in dire straits in the desert. It stopped the moment the Israelites ate the first food from the promised land. In that period of time, they knew they were in this cycle of complete and, and continual dependence um, on the Lord. And that's, an intend, that's intended uh, as an illustration. Real event in history, but it's intended as an illustration for you and for me as to how much we depend on God for everything that we have. So here's the rub. You should, I suggest, this is what I suggest Jesus is saying, thank God today for all that you have. Thank God today for all that you have. Whether you think you provided it or he provided it or not, thank God today for all that you have. And then you should pray today as if none of it will be there tomorrow unless God gives it. Do you see that? Pray for it. Today, as if none of it will be there tomorrow unless God gives it. So you have salary, you have or a pension, or you have benefits, you have a job, uh, you have health to a greater or lesser extent, you have a home, you have a roof over your head, you have running water, you have sheets on the bed, uh, you have a soft pillow, you have a car, you have ability to travel, you have food and the power uh, to buy it, don't assume any of it will be there tomorrow. 
unless you pray for it today. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Give us today our, our daily bread. It's not just about saying thank you when it's passed. It's about praying for it to be there going forward. I think if you were to pray for the next seven to ten days that your salary would come in as normal this month, I think that will transform your understanding of, uh, of who God is and, and what he does for you. So we're not praying this simply so that God provides, but of course we are. But we're praying this so that we understand and appreciate how much God provides. And it will take a different, it will start to give us a different view of, of, our, of our possessions. And we'll understand that they're, then A, they're not really ours, and, and B, we did not ultimately provide them. I started reading, reading um, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. Um, it's a kind of, you know, it's a kind of rather late attempt in life to be educated um, and uh, cultured. Uh, I've read Moby Dick, so it's kind of like, I'm, so I'm trying to read all those books that people say you should read, read and never, never have read. Um, so there's another book I got halfway through and I've abandoned it, and I understand that. So I'm on my second and a half. But I don't know whether you, you, you've read it. I mean, you, you, you've probably seen the movie. Um, but actually, the first kind of 80, 90 pages are a description of, a lovely description of this humble bishop um, who, who makes, a way, makes a way of giving everything he has away, away to the poor. Um, I wouldn't agree with this theology. Um, this is Catholic France. Um, but his, his, his piety... Is, I find, I've actually found quite moving. So he lives with his sister and his housekeeper in poverty, and his only luxury are, are um, some silver cutlery and a pair of um, silver candlesticks. And one night, the ex-con Jean Valjean um, knocks on his door in absolute desperation. He can't find anywhere to stay because he's an ex-con and nobody will have him. He's been in prison for 19 years um, for stealing a loaf of bread. You, you probably know that from the song. Um, in the middle of the night, um, Jean Valjean um, gets up, uh, steals the silver cutlery, jumps out the window, jumps over the wall. And next morning, he's dragged back to the house by the police. Um, and, and they say, hey, look, we found this man. He has your silver cutlery. Um, and the bishop says, yes, yes, that's right. And before Jean Valjean can, can say anything else, he says, yeah, and here are the two silver candlesticks that I gave you as well, and you forgot to take them. Um, it's, a lovely, it's a lovely picture of, of, of grace, um, which, which um, Rico Tice used in Christianity Explored as an, an illustration. But before that, um, after the cutlery is gone and they've discovered it in the morning, um, the housekeeper is outraged that the bishop won't call the police himself. Um, and she wants to know why. And the bishop says, was that silver hours in the first place? Was that silver hours in the first place? 
And then he says this, he, said, he says, Madame Malois, he says, I've been wrongfully keeping that silver a long time. It belonged to the poor. And what was that man? Obviously, um, one of the poor. That is just lovely. It's, 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 a lovely, it's a lovely picture that what we have is now. It's... Sorry, I got distracted. How do you get to that point of piety, of recognizing that stuff is not yours? Well, I think if you pray for it to be there day by day, and I think that's what Jesus is asking you to do, he's asking you to daily pray that what you have today will be there tomorrow, it will start to loosen your grip on the things that you own. And the other way to do it, of course, is to, um, is to stop working one day a week, is to observe um, a, a Sabbath. And that's there, isn't it, in the... Um, uh, in the Exodus, packet, in Exodus passage. Keep a Sabbath holy. Set apart one day each week that you will not work for the Lord. And, and what that does is Sabbath keeping in that sense, it's an expression of faith that the Lord um, will provide in that day that you don't do anything um, all that is needed. So you think about the, the manna, um, the Lord, what does the Lord do? He says, in, in, that, in that day where there is no work, I will provide double. And the Israelites, they have to have faith, they have to have faith. Um, and so they don't work on that day. And, and Sabbath keeping is a way of, of saying there is a day that I don't work. In other words, I, I, I just take my hands off this sense that I am responsible for the whole of life and I've got the whole of my life under control. Sabbath is more than that, but it's not less than that. Give us today our, us, our. The whole prayer is written in plural. Give us, not give me. Uh, our daily bread, not my daily bread. Of course, we've said, I think, from the start that you can individualize this, that you can take it and, and pray it at home, um, in your room, as Jesus says, but, um, but it we mustn't forget the plural dimension of it. It's a prayer that we pray together, and when we pray together, we're praying for one another. We typically pray, I think, when we feel a need. So the question then is, do we feel our needs more than we feel the needs of other people? So when we pray, when you pray on your own, there needs to be some consciousness that you are not praying as an individual, you're praying as a member of, of, of the local church, so remember your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have the prayer sheet, please use it, um, week by week. Um, we, we come together uh, as part of a church of believers in Staines, of believers in the UK, and of course as the worldwide church. So somewhere in this, give us today our daily bread. In other words, Jesus is saying you've got to pray for the lot. You've got to pray for the lot. You've got to pray for everybody else as well when you pray for your own. And again, that'll take our hands off, thinking that, we've, thinking that we have all this stuff that we've provided for ourselves. Finally, bread, daily bread. We've already implied, haven't we, that bread stands for our basic material needs. 
And we're to routinely pray that the Lord gives them. And as we've said, that will transform our understanding um, of what we owe to the Lord. He's not simply the provider of spiritual needs. I think it's really easy to think, well, we've got the, I've, got this, I've got the practical stuff. I've got that covered. Um, the stuff that I haven't got covered is salvation, adoption, faith, spiritual growth, spiritual gifts, peace, love, joy, all that spiritual stuff. I haven't got covered. I need to pray to the Lord um, for that. And it's not true. It's not true. He's not simply the provider of spiritual needs. He's the provider of everything, of everything that you have. So it's tempting to jump from prayer for a, um, from bread as bread, bread as a picture of uh, physical things, to Jesus, who is, the, who is the bread of life. And uh, I've done that a little bit in the Bible study um, if you're in a home group this week. It, it's tempting to kind of make that jump and think that in this prayer, and then suddenly to spiritualize this prayer, actually I'm praying, um, praying for spiritual things, but actually I think that kind of misses the point. Jesus wants to give you physical things. Material things. Because he already has given you material things. All the material stuff that you have has come ultimately from his hand. So we're rightly cautious of a, of a health and wealth gospel. Where we believe that we have a right to, to wealth. Have a right to a high standard of living a right to health, a right to a pain-free, illness-free um, existence. It's a, call it a health and wealth gospel, and we're right to be cautious. We can pray to God for, for healing in this life, but we are in bondage. Ultimately, we're in bondage to decay with the rest of creation. And I think if you were to read um, Revelation 21, this struck me uh, as I was preparing. You'll know these verses really well. Jesus says, um, John says, it's this vision, isn't it? It's the vision of the holy city, that's the people of God, coming, coming down out of heaven. Uh, and a voice says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying of, or pain for the old order of things has passed away. It's just by nature in the old order. There, are, there is going to be death or more, and mourning. There is going to be crying because there is going to be pain. Um, in the old order. It's not completely gone. We can pray for God's healing, yes, but it's not going to be gone, paying completely until the new order comes when Jesus says, I'm making everything new when we get to the new creation. So we're rightly cautious of, of health and wealth gospel that takes that uh, in a wrong way, but equally we fall into a trap if we think that the Lord only gives us spiritual things. The Lord only gives us spiritual blessings. That's a, that's a serious mistake. So pray this prayer. Pray this prayer till your salary comes in. I would, that's the challenge I would give you. Give us today our daily bread. And it will start to bring your relationship with the Lord out of the realm of the spiritual and, and, um, and the numinous into, into everyday life.
doesn't mean the Lord can't be, if you pray that prayer, then the Lord can be materially good to you. He can be as materially good to you as he wants. This then is how you should pray. That's what the Lord says. This then, that's what the Lord Jesus says to you. This then is how you should pray. Pray in the pattern of the Lord's Prayer and then it will be effective in the sense that uh, it will be answered and it will be effective in the sense that it will change you. We pray, give us. So when you pray, you're coming, and I think this really helps to come conscious of the covenant relationship you have with the Lord by grace. Yeah, which gives you that, it gives you both sides. And I guess that a covenant relationship is with our Father in heaven. We recognize he's superior, he's our Father, but he's invited us into this relationship where he's made a pact to provide our needs. So that's how we can pray, give us. Pray for others as you pray for yourself. That's under give us. Under today. This is a challenge and I uh, have to challenge myself too. So imagine yourself in a, imagine that your life is in a desert. Um, and everything that you have is manna. Everything that you have. Don't let a day go by without then some kind of recognition that you depended on the Lord for life's basics. Our daily bread. This is the point, isn't it? Pray for the things you think you're providing for yourself. Yeah, pray for those things that you think you've got under control. Not just the things that you find are slipping out of your control. Because ultimately, all those things uh, have come from the Lord's hands. And be serious about the Sabbath. No work for the rest of the day if you're seriously trusting the Lord. Let's pray. Perhaps just take a moment of quiet and just, um, just ask these two questions. What has the Lord said to me this morning? What has the Lord laid on my heart? Um, and the second question is, what am I going to do about it? Just take a moment or two to ponder those two things. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us materially. And we are so well off. Forgive us where we've taken it for granted. Forgive us where we've not thanked and not prayed for it. We pray today that you will provide those material things that we had today again for us tomorrow. In Jesus' name. Oh, man.